listening to a Called Collective podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. The Called Collective produces multiple podcasts, which you can find in the description below. To learn more about The Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of scholars study a scripture passage drawn from a revised common lectionary. I'm your host, uh, John Drury. I'm professor of New Testament and spiritual formation at Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. We hope it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing sermons or lessons for the upcoming weeks. Our guest this week is DJ Coleman. DJ is professor of practical theology here at Indiana Wesleyan University, a colleague of mine and a regular here on the show, an excellent preacher and student of the Word, and so I'm so excited to have him on this week. If you're enjoying the show today, just make sure to press the share button on your podcast player app to pass this along to others, and make sure to subscribe not only to Fresh Text, but to other shows in the Called Collective Network. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this conversation with DJ Coleman. All right, Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 through 46. If you'd be willing to read, it'd yeah, be great. We'd love to. Verse 33, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard who put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched inn, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people had 
held that he was a prophet. All right, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we ask that as we study your word right now, your spirit would move uh, among us, uh, that we might see what you wish us to see, hear what you wish us to hear, and that all those uh, listening in to our conversation, that your spirit would be at work confirming and clarifying and even correcting uh, what it is we have to offer. We ask this all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, so what jumps out at you at first glance or re-glance in this particular parable? Yeah, I think the first thing is the obvious, like, why does he send his son? <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like, like, what in the world's going on there? And I think that's kind of just a, you know, just reading it blind, that's that's kind of, you know, if, if I'm someone who's never studied the Bible or you're just hearing the story, obviously reading from our uh, context, not the, the context of the original hearers. When we're just reading Matthew 21, uh, they send all these servants and they end up getting killed. And then he's like, well, I'll yeah, send... Yeah, the best predictor yeah. of future behavior is past behavior. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, I'll send my son. And then they kill him. So, I mean, that that's odd. And so I... I would be curious, uh, you know, if I'm reading this, if I'm a pastor and I'm looking to preach into this passage, I'm assuming people in the congregation are going to probably be asking that question. Yeah, why, why did he, he put his son at risk like that? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting the phrase that he, that the master gives his reasoning, right? Mm-hmm. They will respect my son. Right. Which is interesting. Right. The, the <laughs> expectation is, this hey, is maybe they're going to mistreat my servants, but... Right. Surely they'll respect my son. Right. Yeah. Uh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? What? What is his logic in that? I mean, we don't have that. We. I mean, but why does he think that? I mean, obviously we know. Okay, it's his son, and, and that carries something. Um, and again, I'm from. This is from the perspective of a you know someone in the congregation. Why? Do, right. They might be asking why does he think that they're going to respect his son? Yeah, I suppose. The fact that uh, when you get to, there's maybe a little clue even in the story mm-hmm. because it it's so obvious to those hearing the parable then. Sure. Oh, well, if he kills their his son, he's going to come and wipe them out. Right. So surely they would be afraid. Right, for their own lives. Yeah. Yeah, for their own uh, sake. That, that he's going to take it personal. This time it's personal. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's the first thing that, that pops up pops up is just the, I guess the, how odd this parable is, um, in, in that regard. And, uh, I would want to speak to that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the oddity of it Mm -hmm. is precisely then what maybe is illuminating in it. Cause if this is a bit of an allegory (laughs) for, right. God the Father's relationship to Israel. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. <laughs> then you, it's kind of actually maybe good to occasionally ask, wait, why did he send his son again? Exactly. Like, that, what? that was kind of backfired. And, and that kind of gets at the love of God, right? Yeah. And, the, and, I mean, we would talk about, like, the chesed, right? The going beyond the covenant. And in, um, I think, Isaiah chapter 5, there is, uh, you know, the story of the vineyard. Yes. In those first two verses there. Um, 
You could probably pull it up faster than I can. Yeah, Zayaf 5. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard a very, on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. Yeah, it's all the yes, same details. Yeah. Same and hewed out a, vine vat, a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Mm-hmm. And now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? And I looked for it to yield grapes. Did Why did it yield wild grapes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to remove its hedge, break down its wall. Yeah, I mean, this is predicting the, the exile. Right. Right. Which is very relevant because even though the people have returned, the 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 they sense that feel, they're still in exile right. is is a very helpful. They're still oppressed by Rome, exactly, and and they very much feel like they're exiled, exiled at home, right? Yeah, yeah, because it's not that different than the Babylonian captivity. They're just in their own home, which is in some ways almost worse because it's desecrating. Sure. So that's a f- that's a familiar story for the readers. And I think Jesus is using that story um, to do something a little different. I mean, there's there's similarities, obviously, that you know we pointed out in the language, but there's a there's a difference in uh, its conclusion. Yeah, it's a stock image. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, if we're doing, I mean, I, I didn't know when it would come up since you did your OT rap. I'll do mine now because <laughs> I, I was thinking about Psalm eighty. Okay, Psalm eighty. Yeah, it's picking up a. Verse 7, restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out Mm. of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Mm. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade and the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? This is kind of the right. this is the psalm prayer response to the prophecy of sure. Isaiah. It's a very yeah. similar circumstance. Perhaps even they bear some relationship in history. The psalms you don't know for sure, but the boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. Let your hand be on the man at your right hand, the son of man. That's why I kept going because of the son here. The son of man who you made strong for yourself. And we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. It's easy to take this passage in, to use a technical term, a supersessionist direction. Like God hates Israel. Now he's given it to the Gentiles. Right. And and that's so tempting because that's like half true. Sure. But it's also therefore half <laughs> false, right? <laughs> half <long. laughs> right. right. And the part that's false here is this is because he's not taking the the vine is the people of Israel. Right. That's not going away. It's right. the tenants. Sure. Right. This is it's parallel to the shepherds language, right. which is another language from the prophets. Right. right. I'm going to take away those leaders. Those right. It's the same leaders, flock. Right. Yeah, and, and I have another flock I'm going to add. I'm going to expand. So he is going to expand the vine. Right. But this is really about the... And I mean, I, I do appreciate the Pharisees at the end getting it. They're like, right. he, they perceived that he was talking about them. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. No, <laughs> duh. 
there's a cue there for for the reader. It's like, yeah, they, they got it. It's this is obviously talking. And I other. think that's back to what you said: is this vine, the vineyard image mm-hmm. is such a familiar image sure. to those original hearers, and there'd have to be, again, in a preaching setting, a way to kind of bring that out, right? Because that's what makes this parable right. land, right? Is the moment this vineyard is there? Like, oh, okay, right? You're talking we about the house this. of Israel. Mm-hmm. Ooh, but you're focusing on the tenants, mm-hmm. the leaders specifically. Yes, right. who's who's caring for the people, and yeah, and yeah. what the people produce, their fruit, they're right. make, they're trying to keep it for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh. there's oppressive language there, and, and assumptions that that can be made there, or it's fairly clear. I still like your first question. Yeah, but why do you send his son? That <laughs> yeah, seems like I, a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I bring that. I, I want to say that was probably like when I first started reading the Bible, like what in the world is this guy doing? You know, I mean, and I, I feel like that's a question that, that people have. And yeah, like you're saying, there, there are clues there in the text that kind of help us to understand that. Um, but we, we read the Bible from our point of view, and, and, we, and it's difficult for us to jump into the 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 world of the new testament i mean we don't live in an agrarian society right we're not familiar with some of the laws and some of the dealings specifically with this being his son it could be that the tenants believe the person um who planted the vineyard he put up the wall he put up a watchtower and then he rented it out and then he goes off yeah, to another country, it says. He goes yeah. off to another country. Well, they might think he died, and his son is coming back to get his property. And oh. if we kill his son, we can. it's an ownerless property. We can have that property. Oh, you so, know, I've never understood. <laughs> that's a good insight because I never understood the line of, ooh, let's kill him, let's and then maybe him. we'll have the inheritance. We'll have I'm it. like— that's mm-hmm. not how it works. You don't not, automatically inherit the thing that right just because you kill a son. Right? <laughs> it's like like they think it's like a chess game or something. Hey, we take him, we get the, no. It's oh, that's a really that's good. a possibility there. Yeah, yeah no, because it it is at a distance, right? They it doesn't seem that you know, but when the tenants saw the son, mm-hmm. right? So they're almost. I mean, you can almost again, it's a parable, so it's not actually happening. But you kind of picture that way. Jesus is seeing is they see him at a distance. Mm-hmm. Here comes the sun. Right. Oh, here's our chance. This is it. Okay, let's, because uh, there's not any reason to believe that they had any conversation. And the moment they start beating him, he's like, my dad's still alive. They might not believe him, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then at that point, well, let's go through with it anyway. Right. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's really good. That's yeah. really, so, really good. Yeah, the tenants, they don't get the verse 37. He he sent his son. They don't They don't know that. And, and then his thinking behind that, they will respect my son. This is all things that are happening um, away from the tenants, obviously. Off screen. Right. From them. Yeah, I was just double checking. Do they... So the very first servants, they beat one, mm-hmm. kill another, another, stoned another. Th- yeah. So they killed two. Killing, yeah, right? they, they killed two. Yeah. And we might imply that when they beat one... Was that unto death? We don't. I mean, because I don't know what type of beating would yeah, that be. I don't. I don't ambiguous. know. But if if two are are dead, you know, could have been left for dead. Sure. Um. Then he sends other servants more than the first, mm-hmm. and they did the same to them. Yeah. I I can't help it. This isn't that helpful, but 
I've got Mark. I've got my synopsis out here. So Mark is always like more detailed. Right. And like so, Matthew kind of tightens it up. Right. Math- Mark goes and they he sends a servant singular, mm-hmm. and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Mm-hmm. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they wounded him in the head. Very specific. Right. right. <laughs> and they treated him shamefully, which is probably code for mm-hmm. did something yeah. nasty. And he sent another, and him they killed. So he he gets the kind of this progression. Mark's much more kind of a oral kind of storyteller. You're kind of mm-hmm. building up the tension, and Matthew kind of just tightens it up. Like he sent some servants, they killed him, did it again. Right. Then so he gets straight to the son, and interestingly enough, because it helps for interpretation here, Mark and Luke both have the phrase, and he still had one other, a beloved son. Mm. Right, as a chosen son, the, right. the primary son, the son who's going to get the inheritance. Sure, that little detail. Mm-hmm. Again, Matthew pulls it out for whatever reason, but just thought I'd throw that in for what it's worth. There's not actually significant differences until the end. In the in the three versions, the story is pretty pretty much the same, other right. than some of those little details. I I don't have the other versions in front of me. Is it? I think I remember reading something about whether it was Mark or Luke, they, the way that they're sent, um, not not just what happens to them, but the way that they're sent gives a more clear image of the way that the prophets were sent to Israel. Is that there at all? Like um, the sending language is the same. My guess i'd have to, i'd have to look into it but right I, I wonder if the wounding in the head is a specific prophet and i'm just not remembering yeah. it you know yeah i don't i don't i'm not sure and that, that I, when you said that it made me think well i wonder what that's why is that there and it, some they for all we know it could be a, a you know something contemporary that that was occurring in that time or um yeah, know. but even without those details, like once you kind of establish, okay, you've got the powerful mm-hmm. leaders uh, as the tenants, mm-hmm. right? And it's very natural to think of these then as the prophets coming and chastising right. the the kings and or priests, right? right? That mm-hmm. That's that role that the prophet has played in the history of Israel. Right. And one by one, you know, you, you cast them away. Yeah, they're rejected. Yeah, Jesus is picking a fight here. Almost, yeah, <laughs> most certainly, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's getting all up in um, all of it. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's he's touching a sensitive spot right here, which is, I mean, fitting because I mean they're questioning his authority in the prior verses. Yes. I mean, if you think about the kind of the flow of it, they're they're trying to to trap him, and and, and he's he's ready for it. He, he wants all of that. Yeah, and they're already in Jerusalem. He's already yeah. predicted. Mm-hmm. Three times now to his disciples, he's predicted that in Jerusalem he's gonna he's gonna die. He's gonna be handed over. So this is just kind of almost uh, taking it to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as 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 Jesus puts it in the book of John, uh, no one takes my life from me. Right. <laughs> I give it up freely. Telling this story is kind of doing that. It's like knowing I'm I'm taking the challenge. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and come back and keep exploring. Yeah. We're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, DJ Coleman, and uh, we are looking at Matthew uh, chapter 21, 
verses, what, 33 through 46. So uh, on the break, we were chatting a little bit about just kind of putting this in context. So we'd already mentioned that he's in Jerusalem, but there's a a series of parables here. Mm -hmm. We've got the parable of the two sons, which is only in Matthew, interestingly. Correct. Then we've got this parable, which is in all three. Then it followed by the parable of the Great Supper, mm-hmm. which is only in Matthew and Luke, and there's an important difference between those that might be relevant. And then there's the debate about the... Let's, let's just stick with the parables, maybe, right? Because yeah. that's yeah. they're kind of... In classic Matthew fashion, he puts things together. So right. like the, the Great Supper is earlier in Luke. It's mm-hmm. in Luke 14. It's not in, in Jerusalem. Right. He kind of moves these all. So you get kind of a little mini-series of parables. Right. <laughs> little... Uh, Matthew's more of a more of a series preacher, right? right? <laughs> and Luke's more of a one-off. <laughs> yeah, Matthew's kind of tailoring it seems around the, the five discourses, those you know these sermons and yes, and, yes, uh, it's fascinating in that way. These teachings and Jesus is like a Moses, type right? Of, so we get this. This right. would be the fifth set of teachings during right. Jerusalem, which contains a kind of mini series in it of parables here right. early mm-hmm. at the beginning, um, and then has some more parables later uh, in like. Uh, 2425 and those mm-hmm. are more eschaton kind of right. end of days kind of parable eschatological yeah, 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 yeah so so let's start with the two <laughs> sons you had you had you had mentioned to me on the break that it'd be interesting if there's maybe some connection there to the themes of this passage as well as what comes after so what, what were you yeah, thinking there? well I'm, I just love the parable of the two sons because it's 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 such a great picture of, of so many things right you know, my dad's military. <laughs> he tells me to do something. It's yes, sir, and um, and you you go and do it. <laughs> and uh, but in this parable, um, with the two sons, you have uh, two responses: I will not. But then he changes his mind, and that and that the Greek word there for change is repents. He repents. I will not, but he repents. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, um, metanoia. You're right. Yeah. That's so cool. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And then the other son, and I always find it fascinating. But it says the other son. But anyway, the other son uh, says, I will, but then he does not go. And there are other ways this passage is, well, we won't get into that. But yeah, so those are the two responses. And then you, you so this element of repentance. And just, I was curious if, if that impacts the way that we read the parable of the tenants. Ah. And yeah, so then uh, in verse, where is it at? 43, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. The language of fruit is often associated with repentance. Key, uh, produce fruit in keeping repentance. That's that's the message of John the Baptist. Um, and so, yeah. yeah that language wanna, appears in James, too, mm-hmm. and it's all over the rabbis. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very similar. Yeah, so just curious if there's a, if there's if that influences the way we might read the parable of the tenants. Yeah, so, I mean, at the very least, there's the invitation. I mean, even though it's, you know, again, it's just a parable. It's just there to illuminate and right. stir shift up. Shift the so, way that we think about God and his kingdom. Yeah. Right. That shift the way we think about God and his kingdom, right? And so the invitation, even if characters in the story don't repent, right. the invitation right, right, to repent right. is always mm-hmm. implied, right? So sure. there's... Uh, there would be a different way to oversee mm. this vineyard, and of course, we see in the reaction of the Pharisees that they're right. not—they're—they're they're just all the more 
resolute right. in, in stopping Jesus. Mm-hmm. Even though this was kind of a moment to change their minds. Like, oh, you know what? You know. Right. Yeah, I, I think um, the question of, like, what are you doing is, is a good question. So with the parable of the two sons, what are you doing? Hmm. Not just what are you saying, but what are you actually doing? What have you done with this command? Um, well, with the parable of the tenants, that still holds true. The, that question, what are you doing? If you are the tenant, what are you going to do with this son? What are you going to do with the vineyard? How are you stewarding this um, opportunity, whatever's in front of you? you know, obviously, they beat the servants and then kill the, uh, or uh, then they have the son there, and they're saying, let's kill him. Um, so I, I think that that question, uh, that could be a question like, what are you doing? And there may still be opportunity for repentance. Even yeah, because there's, there's a saying, one thing and doing another in both of these parables, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first son says he'll do it and then doesn't. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the, the tenants say, that yeah, they I mean they would have had some kind of contract and mm-hmm. say yeah we'll give you your produce when right. the time comes and right. then they do another. So then how does that go? Go ahead. Were you gonna say something? No no else? no no. I was looking for that uh, where they hired. Where does it say that they were hired? He lent it out to yeah. tenants. Yeah. So the, there, there's that contractual the share, obligation. Sharecroppers. There's, that, there's mm-hmm. that yes I will do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's but it's a lending. Good. They don't own it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then the next parable, which will be the episode next week, sure, so we don't right, get into yeah, right. detail, but just the, the connection, I just wanted to point out, and this will probably come up next week on the show with, I don't even know who the guest is for that, I haven't booked it yet, <laughs> but uh, the uh, one difference between Matthew and Luke's version of that is at the end of Matthew, Matthew's version of the parable, the, the king sees someone who doesn't have a garment, mm. a wedding garment, mm-hmm. and says, why'd you let you know, friend, how'd you get in here without the wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him out the utter darkness, mm. weeping, gnashing teeth, standard kind of language. For many are called, but few are chosen, right? So there's another one of these kind of, and it's a, it's an emphasis in the book of Matthew, much more so even than you'd have in, say, Mark, on repentance. Mm-hmm. So the inclusion of sinners and tax collectors, yes, but the point is that they repent. Right? Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. Mark, you sometimes get the vibe that Jesus just likes sinners and tax collectors. He thinks they're pretty right, great. Yeah. <laughs> there's less emphasis on repentance. Right. In and, and in a different way, there's there's repentance mm, in Luke, but it's more economical. In in Matthew, it's all the time. Right. Keeps for and you, even he even have it here. It's like oh, it's not just and this is another story of one group of people not getting in and a new group coming in. But even the new group, you got to repent. Right. Right. So I think there is a, I think you're right. There's a recurring mm-hmm. theme throughout this, a prophetic call right. to turn. Yeah, right. if you think about a, even is it Matthew seven? Um, not everyone who calls unto me and says Lord Lord, 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 but those who do the will of my Father. And and in Matthew twenty one, we we have that like, but that's the parable of the sons right there. In fact, look at the uh, parable of the two sons. He doesn't say. Look, he says he answered, "I will, sir," and the the word. Look at sir. Look at sir. Is that is that like a curios or a curie? I'll check it. Let's see what. It's not verse. like a traditional thing. Like that's not what you say to your father. I will, 
Yes. Sir. Well, yes, sir. I yeah. don't know. Well, that <laughs> sounds what like it you says did. In growing English. Up. Yeah. In the English, it says sir, ego courier. But yeah, that's not a traditional way. Yes, that you Lord. Would, right. But anyway, it's, that's the it's a yes different word Lord. for that's master. That's the Lord, Lord. It's um, the same word, yet yeah, Korean. You know, mm-hmm. but it's those who do the will of my Father. And you know, another. And I know you've already done the parable of two sons episode, but you know, when we read it in our guilt innocence culture, uh, we it's different from the honor shame culture. So yeah, say more about that. Well. <laughs> To me, it's it's the person who actually does it, and that's kind of what I've been arguing for, who who does what the father asks. But could it be that the son that saves his father's face, he doesn't embarrass him by saying no in front of him. He says, I will do it, but then he doesn't do it. But he doesn't shame his father publicly. He doesn't shame his father by, by uh, saying no to him. Yeah, it is a little... It is a little more self-evident which one is the good one in mm-hmm. a kind of guilt. Right, you were exactly right. in a guilt guilt righteous, yeah. yeah. It's like he actually did it and that's what we care about in the United, you know, yeah. in our western way of You're thinking. Right, in their culture this is actually a puzzle. It, it is very much a puzzle. Cuz cuz right. contradicting your father in front of the servants and right. your brothers and your mother is right. is a pretty big offense. Oh, right. that's a good point. Right. So Yeah. And I I think it's a puzzle on purpose too, and and I think maybe even for discipleship, you know, are we the, you know, and we'll get out of the parable of two sons, but you know, are are we the son who says yes to following Jesus? Maybe, and I, I'm I'm taking this a little too far, probably, but we say yes to following Jesus, but then yes, Lord. time goes on, yeah, and and we don't do the will of our Father, or um, are we the one who says no? Uh, maybe it's a you know a reaction. Uh, to the gospel, our reaction to church hurt or whatever, but then we change our mind. There's repentance, and 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 we follow we follow Jesus. But yeah, taking that and then thinking about the parable of the tenants, where there's some of those same elements there. Yeah, and I, I like you bringing in the honor shame thing because that is actually helpful. Because he, he if he asked, like this would be a puzzle if Jesus ended with. Which of the two honored his father? Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, the that's <laughs> right. the commandment. Right. That's the the ten right, right. You know, the fifth commandment. Mm-hmm. Honor your father and mother. Mm-hmm. That's not obvious. It's not right. But he's specific. Which of the two did the will of his father? Well, there right. is a clear answer to that one. The one right. who actually did it, mm-hmm. right? And it's almost as if he's adjusting this kind of like there. There is a little tweak here in this honor shame kind of thing like well actually doing it is a little more important than what you just say mm-hmm. you know right. uh, to save your own face right and then as he's turning he of course now because the pharisees can tell he's talking about them he is shaming them with this story he's right. saying they are you know not the prophets which right. is they would probably think oh, that's yeah. their character we're, in yeah, the story we we're, we, we're yeah. speaking truth to power we're against the sadducees who are in bed with the romans right we're critical of the Romans. We're critical of the Sadducees. Right. We're not the rich hereditary priesthood. Mm-hmm. So the Pharisees probably saw themselves Absolutely. as the prophets. Right. <laughs> so for him to say, no, you're in league with, you're just, you know, your tenants like the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And the this army of tax collectors and sinners mm-hmm. led by this carpenter from up north. Yeah. Is actually going to take your place. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a harsh critique, but it's it's a fair one. And then you you do think about the the tenants who 
are they repentant? Like, what are they doing with the opportunity that they have? They were hired to watch over this this land, but um, they changed their mind <laughs> in the in the wrong direction. Yeah, they changed their mind. In the wrong decided let's this is just for us, right? So, which son would they be? They would be the ones that say, "I will," but then they change their mind, but obviously in the wrong direction. Right. So it, I, I do think there's some of the elements of like, what are you doing? What are you actually doing? And doing with that which has been lent to mm-hmm. you, right? Right, yeah. Because, you know, we're all on borrowed time. Sure. We're all on borrowed land, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> we're all in these borrowed bodies, right? Everything that we have right. is is a temporary sure. lending. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing with it? Yeah. Right? Are we bearing fruits mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the master or to enrich ourselves? Yeah. Who, man, the economic critique is right there. Right. It's not hiding. <laughs> yeah. That's the question. Yeah, what are we doing? Yeah, so let's let's play with that a little bit. The what are you doing? What are you doing with what you've been given? So as you as you think about kind of transitioning to preaching right. on this text, do you have some sense of where you'd want to go, what directions you'd want to take? Yeah, I think first and foremost, we, we have to remember ourselves where I, I don't know if I would, you know, be so prideful to call myself a Bible scholar. I, I wouldn't say that about myself, but we we need to remember, you know, who is in our congregation and they may not, um, just as we may not fully understand this passage. So I think doing the the work of reading commentaries and, and really understanding this passage and not giving a lecture on the passage when we preach it, but explaining it in a way uh, to help people to understand what's happening in the parable of the tenants. I, I certainly would want to explain this parable a little bit. We don't live in an agrarian society. What the, Some of the relationships, why is he leaving and then coming back, what's going on there? Explaining the passage would, would be a uh, first thing. But then, yeah, into the sermon of, of uh, definitely asking that question, what are we doing? And um, I think that would be kind of a, the direction I might start. Yeah, so what is... Uh, <laughs> who, are, who are the tenants of the vineyard mm-hmm. today in our time? Well, <laughs> the pastors and... Yeah. Uh, I mean, we might say that and yeah. I think uh, church leaders who are providing spiritual direction and care for you know, the, God's people, um, in a sense, we can we can look at it that way, you know. And so there's a might have to preach a sermon against yourself. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know that's not a um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think I hesitate to share this. I was talking with a pastor earlier this week and. Um, and I, I could even, I guess I could share with about myself, um, but this specific pastor was talking about they had a, a spiritual gift of like teaching and, and they loved to study, but they weren't super passionate about evangelism. And so if you think about like the fivefold ministry, they would say, I, I, you know, they were a teacher slash pastor. But when they look at the, their congregation, the congregation tends to take that shape more academic um, mm-hmm. and less ev- evangelistic in nature. But the fivefold ministry, you know, in Ephesians is so that the people of God would be built up, that they would be mature. Um, so 
I don't know if, if this would necessarily make its way into a sermon, but it is a reality that we do have ways that we lean. And we do, you know, as pastors, as, as those who are tasked with growing in a, specifically in a spiritual sense, um, maturing the congregation, we do have to take inventory and see how are we do how are we making sure that we're not focusing only on the things that we're that, mm. that come natural to us because that we are tasked with uh, caring for people in more than just the ways that come naturally to us so oh that's yeah. good and there's a i mean using the imagery of the vine uh, of the vineyard you know it's a more subtle so there's the blatant disobedience of right. of yeah. of stoning mm-hmm. a servant, right. killing a prophet. Mm-hmm. And then there's those more subtle moment, subtle modes of disobedience mm-hmm. that come in neglecting parts of the vineyard mm-hmm. yeah. for other parts, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. kind of shaping the vineyard, moving the fences around mm-hmm. to make it manageable. Right. Because the fact is, is for a pastor, you know, you, you think of this it's vineyard. It's overwhelming. It's huge. It's overwhelming. It's, yeah. it's hot outside. If we yeah. were, there's some shade over here. Why don't we <laughs> just work on this part in the shade, yeah. a little smaller, which is enough for me. Right. This will produce enough grapes for me. And I'm good at it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm good at Ooh. this. I'm good at this, and it comes naturally. To me. And they're going to think I'm that great. Is... They're going to think I'm great at what I'm doing. <laughs> well, and the people who don't like it, they're going to go somewhere else. They, the people who right. dig it are going to stay. <laughs> and you hear that sometimes with pastors. like, well, at this church, this is kind of our focus. And... I don't know. I mean, we we got to think about the whole how we're forming, you know, in totality, the holistic care of folks, not just what's natural, that what comes natural. So, man, that's I mean that that convicts me, and I got to be honest. We'll 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 come back after the break and explore some some more sermon starter mm-hmm. ideas. But I mean, I've found in my life that the best way from a passage to a sermon for others just goes through my own heart, right? Sure. Like really letting the, mm-hmm. especially when it's a text with some judgment in it. Yeah. I got to let it judge me. Sure. See how I react to that judgment. Yeah. What the glimmer of hope is in that judgment, the invitation to repentance. Mm. And then out of that, usually I could find what I, what I might offer to someone else. And then I can do so with brokenness and authenticity rather than, that's you know, just throwing rocks. <laughs> That's good, and it's and that's good for our congregation as well because we have to see our congregants as leaders as well. That's they, right. They have a, a fellow tenants. They are fellow tenants as well, and they may fall prey to the same thing, doing things that are that may come easy or natural to them, mm-hmm. or they might, you know, they send their. I'm kind of losing the analogy here, but sending their kids to youth group, and that is where my kids get their spiritual, you know, that's where they grow spiritually. I'm going to send them off to to the youth pastor, where it's, it's they are still the primary. What's the vineyard dis- at home, yeah, right? But they're still the primary disciples of their student. Boy, I think, I, yeah, let, let's take a quick break and come back and explore sure. this, because I think there's some potential here in this imagery. Yeah. So let's take a quick break. We're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, DJ Coleman. We're looking at Matthew 21, 33 through 46, the parable 
of the vineyard. So let's explore some sermon starters. We transitioned there already a little. Right towards the end, that imagery of the vine really grabbed me. I wonder if somewhere, whether this is in the sermon or as a way to kind of develop a sermon, there's this question to ask of what is your vineyard or who is your vineyard? Mm-hmm. Where is your vineyard? Maybe all three of those questions. Yeah. Because that's a good... And again, like for me as a preacher and pastor myself, really asking that for myself mm-hmm. and feeling the burn yeah. of the parable. And then from that, invite others into that same experience. You know, I'm thinking of if you're a public school teacher, mm-hmm. right? To begin to use that imagery to just even imagine your classroom as your vineyard and these That's powerful. these kids, right? Right as this vine right. that God has lent to me right. for a season. I've got these kids this one year. Mm-hmm. And even if I'm never, even if I, for all kinds of legal reasons, can't talk about it directly, that's sure. not the issue. What's, because it isn't, what am I saying? It's what am I doing? What am I Back doing? to that, right? right? So if you have children, right, to see your home mm-hmm. and your, as a vineyard and your children as a vine, Right. That's you powerful. own a business, your employees, yeah. your partners. Yeah. I don't know. No, that's powerful. I think because, I mean, even the way I was talking earlier, I think people do make that kind of dichotomy of clergy laity and uh, almost a harsh line of, oh, well, our pastor, that's the one who does the God stuff. Mm-hmm. And I am a teacher, so I teach. And what I do from 9 to 3, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., that's my job, and then I go home, and I volunteer, you know, on Sunday or Wednesday. No, that 9 to 3 throughout the week, and obviously if, if any teachers are hearing this, they're thinking, <laughs> Yeah, 7 to 3, buddy, and <laughs> yeah, then all that, night grading. <laughs> yeah, and then lesson plans, they're laughing at me right now. My mom was a teacher, so I, I get it. I, but But that's your vocation. God has... Put you in that place, and you know if you're a mechanic, that's your vocation. And when I say vocation, you're calling, and God has has you there to be a light, to be a blessing. And that's what Jesus is saying at the Sermon on the Mount, right? That that we are the salt and the light of the world. And so, seeing your occupation as your vocation, your vineyard, I think that could be a powerful message for a congregation. And it suddenly makes me think of another great parable of the vine Mm. uh, of Jesus uh, in the last week of his Mm. sojourn on earth that's over in John, John chapter 15. Mm. There we are described as the branches and and Jesus is the vine vine. and the father is the the farmer. The vine dresser. Right. And so, and it's, it's actually, it's again, I, this, this could be an aside in a sermon, but it helps to highlight like, hey, you know, over in John, it's all about abiding, mm-hmm. abide in the vine, stay in the vine, right. right? You're not the gardener. You're not even the vine. You're just a branch, right? Mm-hmm. Just abide. It's a little bit more passive and rightly so, because that's the emphasis in John Right? is Jesus is doing the work right. and you abide in him, mm-hmm. right? And that and abiding's hard. It takes a lot of faith to just <laughs> stick it out, right? right? But he's really the one doing it. It is finished, right? He's doing the work. Over in the synoptics, and especially Matthew, it's always flipped, right? Like you mentioned the light earlier, right? 
in John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Right. Matthew says, you are the light of the right. world, right? So right. there it is again. It's, it's saying, but there's another way of looking at the vine, which is we're the farmers, right? right? Yeah. We're the, we have responsibility, right? right? Um, we have something to take care of. Right. And, and of course, I'm, I'm, this is one of those balanced things in ministry that you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a little in, inclined to talk about abiding a lot. But then, and so to you, also remember, you also got to tend the vine. You got to tend the vine. You have you have a task. But I love to be the way the gospels work in that way. Yep. Because we're not doing it. It is God doing it. Right. The you way have that, to hear both. The way that uh-huh. God does it is through us. Bingo. And I know. Yeah. So it's so they're both it, true. Oh yeah. And that, but that's so good. You know, some people need to hear it from Matthew to start doing stuff. Um, but then in the same you know, in the same sermon, they need to hear, hey, it's God doing it through you. Paul actually says that, what, what, he says, my, my grace is sufficient. Right before that verse, he says, I worked harder than everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> I right. love that verse. And it, no one ever talks about that. That, that line, I, the only reason I know that is because I want to get it tattooed on me sometimes. <laughs> I, worked, <laughs> I worked harder than everybody else, but not me. Yeah. It's God working through me. His grace has been sufficient for me. And you kind of have that element here. Yeah, and Paul has both sides of that so strongly. Right. Yeah, it's, it's his grace. It's only his grace. And yet, I worked harder than everybody. I worked harder than everybody <laughs> It's else. the same, it's yeah. coming out of the same mouth. Him and Gamiel was having, <laughs> Gamiel was having him read those books, and, and he was, yeah. So I think I think that that is powerful. Another thing, I think, you know, another direction we could go, thinking about a sermon might be the reaction to the prophets if we're if we're staying with this idea of being mm. the tenants. How are we responding to the message of God, the call of God, with these servants that are coming, if we want to take the analogy that far? And then with the son, maybe the gospel. What are, how are we responding to the gospel? But yeah, that, that response, I think, is is something that we might could play around with. Uh, I might think through if, if I'm thinking about a sermon with this passage. Yeah, and, and you could even link it in together, right? You're thinking about, okay, how, just to make it very interpersonal, I mean, once I start to see, say, say a, thinking of a public school teacher in their classroom, mm-hmm. just picturing that. I get kids, right? So I kind of can picture that very clearly. Once they start to see this is this is the vine that's been lent to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what do I do when I get criticism, mm. right, from yeah. a parent, oh, from man. another teacher, right? Yeah. Is this am I going to receive a profit, receive a profit's reward, mm. right, or am I going to reject that criticism because it, you know, it hurts my ego, right? right? How am I going to receive that? How am I going to respond? Good, to yeah. some criticism, even if it's not brought in the right spirit, even mm. if, you know, because that's not the question here. Because Ezekiel was a weirdo, and I don't <laughs> think he's the kind of guy I would have paid attention to either, right? right? The question is, is he a prophet or not? Is this right. a word from God? Right. However the mm-hmm. the attitude was, or the maybe the criticism wasn't very constructive. Right. Were they on to something? Mm-hmm. Is there something here I need to hear? Yeah, is there a hint of truth yeah. when they, you know, you talk too loud, or you're annoying. It's like, okay, well, what are they, what, what is being said here? What, what can I, how can I think about this? And maybe, no, nah, that's not, you know. But at least give it a hearing. Right, give it a hearing. Yeah. And, and man, that, 
that is good for the church to do. You know, we were talking about clergy and, yeah. you know, church leaders. We need to listen to the critiques, not just dismiss everything so fast. So, Yeah, no, but there's a lot of, a lot of practical stuff that can, that can flow out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, where do we want to go with this? <laughs> think we should say anything else? We think we're good. Well, yeah, we don't, I, I don't mean, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask a question I don't know the answer to. Maybe we could play with it, but how does this sermon end? You know, if we, <laughs> if, if, we, if we're playing around with, you know, what, how are we responding to the tenets, of, you know, and how are we thinking about the vineyard as, you know, and, and vocation? So then how does it end? Maybe it, it maybe we do kind of land the plane with the the John the Gospel of John and it's him doing the work through us. Maybe that would be a good place to end it. You know, kind of the it it, it is about abiding with Christ. But maybe playing with that ending. How does the sermon end? And what what's the encouragement? So if there's the challenge of mm-hmm. you know seeing this place as a vineyard and you have a vocation, what's the What's the encouragement to a to a teacher who is working seven to whenever the lesson plans are done and the grading, and they're stressed, and they have students that are not excited about being in class, and they have parents that are frustrated, and maybe a principal that's not listening to them, or whatever, the team is toxic, whatever's going on. What's the inc- But they're here on a Sunday saying, God, I want to be filled with your spirit so that I can do my job well, that I can follow you well. What encouragement do we have for them? Let's take a glance at how Jesus ends yeah. and see if there's a clue there, because he says, you know, have you never read in the Scriptures? The very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. Mm. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. So first of all, the Lord's doing. Yeah. God is actually behind this. He has right. placed you where you are. And this notion of the the rejected stone that's now become the chosen cornerstone. Mm. And I wonder if there's something, and again, links over to John 15. I didn't, you didn't choose me. I chose you, right? This kind of, I wonder if, if a, if a reminder of God's calling an election could be, because that, because calling election is more linked to vocation actually than salvation or whatever that distinction means. Sure. You know, like some, some encouragement of reinforcing that no, if you are a tenant for a reason, right? You know you are chosen for this work, and right? And, and he's going to do it. He's going to do something marvelous. Right. You're just along for the ride. So be faithful mm-hmm. in what you're doing, and yet he's going to do the big thing. I don't know. Maybe something along those I lines. I like that. It, it's given. It's helping to open their eyes, right? Give give to something they've seen before, but maybe you know just the the daily dealings and doing your work, you, you kind of lose focus. This is opening people's eyes again to a bigger picture of what God is doing through them, the, the meaning in their work. It's not meaningless. When you are patient with a coworker, God is at work, and it, it's kind of reminding them of that. So I, I do think that's a great place to end. God is doing something. Yeah, I grew up in Wesleyan churches that are so— sort of anti-Calvinists that were kind of allergic to mm-hmm. all talk of, like, election and choosing. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, like, when I kind of stumbled on, like, how much that language is all over the New Testament right. <laughs> and, and the old, for that matter, and how much, though, it's linked to, to vocation and ministry. Mm-hmm. That's where it 
that's where that language makes sense. And that's where you need it. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to be reminded that God chose me for this. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's some encouragement there mm-hmm. and some strength that I can take from that. Yeah, the only, the only danger with election is when we believe that election is for the elite. It's, right and it's not it's <laughs> right and, and this passage is precisely that the it's service, this inversion right. i rejected the you know the right. one who was rejected became the elected right here. this is about mm-hmm. this is about turning the world upside down right. and the small things being used to shame the strong right if you think your choosing is because of something you've done or something no god is choosing you for a purpose um for this for this task that god is doing despite Oftentimes, yes, <laughs> as he says in Deuteronomy, right. you know, despite the, right. you are not the most impressive no. nation in the world. Right. I just chose you out of sheer love <laughs> to shame all those big nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I think pointing to that would be encouraging. Hey, well, I think that's good. I love I think it. We can wrap it there. Hey, thanks so much, DJ, for uh, being on the show this week. It's always a treat having you on. I wanted to say thanks to Tom, Todd and Eric for helping get this show started Uh founding producers of the show. Thanks to Nathan and Called Collective for producing the show. If you made it this far and you haven't pressed the share button on your podcast player, press that share button and pass it along to others so they can enjoy as well. And thanks for listening and have a good preach and a great week. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs>